COVID-19, the virus that spread across the world, causing half a million deaths and changing lives, first began in a food market in the Chinese city of Wuhan. That's what we've been told, but did it? China no longer believes that the virus started in the uh, market. They've ruled that out. They believe that somebody probably introduced it to the market after the virus had been spreading for a while in Wuhan. Scientists and government agencies are now seriously considering an alternative story. The mineshaft virus could actually have morphed. People think that it's a bit of a conspiracy theory that it might have leaked from a person in the lab. It's very difficult to be able to kind of rule out anything. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, where did COVID-19 really come from? You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweller since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. China is battling a new and rapidly spreading respiratory virus. Well, Wuhan is the epicenter of this outbreak. The general theory is that this virus comes from a species of bat. It's believed that the virus may have originated from a market in the city. And that it all started in the seafood market at Wuhan. Barricaded and guarded by police with masks, Chinese authorities have traced a new deadly virus back to this seafood market in the city of Wuhan. We now have a name for the disease. And it is COVID-19. I'm Jonathan Calvert. I'm the editor of the Insight team at Sunday Times. And I'm George Abuffnot, and I'm the deputy editor of the Insight team. Insight is the Sunday Times investigations hub, the award-winning team behind some of the biggest scoops in British journalism since the early 1960s. The origin of the virus is obviously one of the great questions that remains to be answered about COVID-19. There are a lot of mysteries to it, and there are a lot of unknowns. By understanding where it started, 
we may in future be able to stop such a pandemic happening again. Jonathan and George have been working on an international investigation into where the virus came from. We talk to scientists around the world about the origin of the virus, and there's quite a lot of variance in the views as to where they think it started. As we'll discuss later, it's a task that's been made more difficult by the Chinese government, but the team has been able to get access to some vital evidence. We have had some assistance in China from some translators and fixers who've been helping us translate some of the crucial scientific documents and also some crucial documentary evidence that we've been able to uncover. To understand where the virus might have begun, we need to go back seven years before the outbreak of COVID-19 to 2012. It's monsoon season in southwest China, set in the rolling hills and tea plantations of Yunnan province, is a town called Tongwan, a thousand miles from Wuhan. In 2012, there was a quite an unusual event. A group of men were sent to work clearing out an abandoned mine, a copper mine. It was a quite an incredible place, I and mean, it was teeming with bats and rats and shrews. In the time that it had been left abandoned, it had been completely colonised by bats. So the floor was covered with bat droppings and there was fungus and all sorts of things. It smelled absolutely revolting when you went into there. The men's task was to clear that out. After two weeks, some of the men became ill. What was happening to them? They came down with very COVID-19-like symptoms. So they had pneumonia, high fever, cough. Six men in all contracted pneumonia. Some have to have been in the mine for only a matter of a few days. They were gradually admitted to the local hospital one by one because their pneumonia was so, so serious. The hospital was mystified. They didn't quite know what it was. They gave them a huge number of tests for all sorts of different exotic diseases. They all came out negative, but one of the leading disease experts in China who'd been involved in tackling the SARS epidemic, he was conscious that they'd been in this cave with a lot of bats, which are absolutely renowned for having a vast array of different types of coronaviruses. And so he recommended that they be tested for antibodies and what's more, the two men who had, were still in hospital had lower levels of antibodies, and the two men who'd been released from hospital had higher levels of antibodies, which did suggest that a virus may be affecting their health. They didn't do the test until after two had already died. In fact, three would die, sadly. Wow, so this is quite a lethal coronavirus. It wasn't SARS, but something quite like it. And this is back in 2012. Yes, yeah, so eight years ago. One of the teams who were called in to investigate the incident in the mine were scientists from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Ever since the SARS epidemic in the early 2000s, China has been investing intensively in research into the origins of SARS and other viruses that could prove to be as deadly. 
After the SARS pandemic, there was a great search to try and find out where the host animal was. The task was then given to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to try and work this out. This team at the Wuhan Institute who are set up to investigate how these things begin, what are they doing there? How are they going about it and who are they? Well, the team is led by a woman called Zi Zheng Li. She's known by her colleagues as Batwoman because she uh, she's a she's <laughs> an title. expert. Yes, it is, isn't it? She's an expert in coronaviruses in bats. And what they would do is they would go into the caves and they would capture bats and they would bring back a lot of samples. After the death of the three men who'd been working in the abandoned mine in 2012, those teams set off to investigate the cause. So subsequently a team of researchers from the Wuhan Institute of Virology returned to the cave four times for a very detailed collection and surveillance programme. How do you go about doing that safely? It's not an easy job. Yeah, I think going into the mine was a very dangerous task. I mean, uh, what they knew about it was there was some sort of pathogen in there that that had caused something so awful that these uh, three of the miners had died. And so when they go into these things, they wear full hazmat suits, they wear um, respirators, hoods. There shouldn't be any part of their body that's exposed. When they're handling bats, they wear kind of leather gloves underneath and then plastic gloves over the top so that they don't get scratched by the bats. It's quite important because it would be very easy to be infected in one of those caves with something nasty because they were they were finding quite a lot of um, coronaviruses in those caves. Not all of them would be transmissible to humans, but some of them were, I think. They found dozens and dozens of coronaviruses in that cave from bats, but they only found one new strain of SARS-like coronavirus, which they picked up in the cave from a bat dropping and taken back to their lab and analysed and found that it was a kind of novel coronavirus. They found that it was a new strain of the SARS-type coronavirus. And surprisingly at the time, they don't seem to have done anything else with it, or at least that's as far as we know. The results were all published in a study in 2016, and this new strain, which was BT-CoV-4991, Catchy name. Um, yeah, it is a catchy name, isn't it? And this new strain was stored in the laboratory, as far as we know. Looking back on that finding now, how similar do we think it was to COVID-19? We have found evidence that suggests that the sample found in the mine almost certainly has a 96.2% genetic match with COVID-19. And that makes it the world's closest known match to the coronavirus that has caused the pandemic. And that makes it the best available clue to the pandemic's origin. There has been some studies in the last few months. The University of Minnesota has found that it does have the ability to infect human cells. And also scientists we've spoken to they found it quite surprising that they hadn't done, or they say they hadn't done more work on BatCov4991 
because obviously there was a link to these deaths. It was a new strain of SARS. On the face of it, it was an extraordinary discovery and one that you'd want to really study incredibly closely to see if it had a potential to produce a future pandemic. What did they do with it? We only know what we're told, and one of the collaborators who worked with them for 15 years has told us that that sample just sat in the laboratory until at least the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020. So what are the chances that the coronavirus found in the cave, found in the, the mine shaft, could be the one that ends up mutating and turning into COVID-19? So this is a hotly disputed issue. Some people say for the mineshaft virus to have become COVID-19, it would have to take 30 to 50 years of natural evolution. So therefore, it's very unlikely. But other scientists say that actually that's not necessarily the case. And the mineshaft virus could actually have morphed much more quickly than that. Three years ago, in 2017, a new lab was built at the Institute of Virology in Wuhan, and it raised concerns. So in 2017, a new biosafety level four laboratory was opened at the Wuhan Institute, which is the highest safety category for a laboratory of this kind. It was China's first, but there were concerns at the time because of the way it's governed. It's the closed nature of its culture and the sort of emphasis on hierarchy. There were concerns from biosecurity experts that that wasn't conducive to ensuring maximum safety was maintained because people might be scared of flagging up problems or admitting mistakes. And given those fears, I mean, does the rest of the world make that clear to China? I mean, how do they try to do something about it? In 2018, just after it opened, the US embassy in Beijing sent scientific attaches into the Wuhan Viral Institute to look at this new facility. We know because they were leaked in the diplomatic cables. The diplomats were actually quite concerned that the training and the levels of safety were not high enough in the Wuhan Institute at the time. From 2015, they had started to do what are called gain-of-function experiments, which is where you take a coronavirus that may not necessarily be infectious to humans already, but in order to see whether it could become infectious to humans, you insert other sections of its genomic sequence from different coronaviruses which are infectious and then test how infectious it is to humans once you've combined the two. And these are extraordinarily controversial because it... It obviously, it's, it's creating something that, if it was released outside the laboratory, could cause a major outbreak that would be very harmful to humans. But the lab argues that it's worthwhile because it allows us to study these viruses and potentially try and create remedies before a pandemic might emerge. That does sound incredibly risky. Is that a normal is that is that what happens scientifically around the world? Is that what virologists are doing? Yes, I mean, others around the world have been doing it, but the Americans in 2014 deemed it to be too risky. So they banned the practice um, at that time, although they have now lifted that ban, as I understand it. There's a huge scientific debate around it. Certainly, 
some of the British experts we've spoken to, their view is that it is too risky and it's not, it's, it's just not worthwhile. Do we know if they were doing experiments like that to work out if the virus could be made more transmissible with the material they picked up in that mine shaft? We don't know that. We haven't got any evidence for that. It's an open question. We have asked the Wuhan Institute that question directly, but as yet they haven't responded to any of our questions. With the viruses that they were working on, is there a possibility that a leak could happen? They could end up leaving the Institute and spreading into Wuhan at large? Well, leaks are quite common. You know, well, much more common than, than you'd expect from these kind of laboratories. In America, they've had 749 lab safety incidents in these facilities in the six years up to 2015. I was absolutely shocked by that. By that. Yeah, it's a shocking figure. There was actually an incident in 2004 with a laboratory in Beijing when some researchers were infected with SARS from a lab and they then infected some of, some of their relatives and one person died. So it's not as uncommon as, as you might imagine, sadly. The possibility is that the laboratory was experimenting on the mineshaft virus and had altered it in the lab to turn it into COVID-19 effectively. Now, some scientists say that that is not possible because the two are too different. But Professor Richard E. Bright, who works at the Rutgers University in New Jersey, he's told us that he thinks that is actually the most likely scenario. Really? And he says that the experiments that the Institute have been doing where they were making coronaviruses more effective. If you did the same techniques in those experiments and applied them to the mineshaft virus, then it's absolutely plausible that that would create COVID-19. So, uh, you know, there is a real, there is a real divergent to the opinion, but he's, he's very strong on that. So it's very hard to rule that out. That's his view, absolutely. For the woman who'd run the team that had gone to, to the mineshaft, you know, Batwoman, as she's known, how did she respond when the virus broke out? She gave an interview to the Scientific American in which she recounts how she was told on the 30th of December that there was a novel coronavirus in Wuhan. At first, she couldn't believe it because it is quite a coincidence. I mean, the Wuhan Institute of Virology is something like a thousand miles away from the places where the bat caves are, where they believe that these coronaviruses start in bats. There are more than 600 cities in China, and yet the virus ended up in the, the one city which was doing all the major research on these type of coronaviruses. So... Initially, uh, Dr. Xi was, was, was quite concerned. I mean, she did actually say in the interview with the uh, Scientific American that she was worried that maybe one of their own viruses had leaked from the lab. Wow. And, and what, what happened then? Well, she was actually at a conference in Shanghai when the news came through. She rushed back. She had two tasks, really. One of the first was to get all the, the samples from the initial patients and work out what type of coronavirus it was. And she did the sequencing of coronavirus, which became the first one published in the world. And at the same time, 
Once they had that, they went through all their records, and according to her interview, she says that they were relieved to discover that they didn't actually have that particular coronavirus, the one that caused the COVID-19 pandemic, in their uh, stores anywhere. She actually said in her interview with the Scientific American, that really took a load off my mind. I have not slept a wink for days. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. President Trump is very clear. We're going to hold those responsible accountable. And my opinion is they made a mistake. They tried to cover it. They tried to put it out. It's like a fire. They couldn't put out the fire. So you could fly out of Wuhan, where the primary problem was, all of the problem, essentially, also where the lab is. I can tell you that there is a significant amount of evidence that this came from that laboratory in Wuhan. But the best experts so far seem to think it was man-made. I have no reason to disbelieve that at this point. Have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. It's got all different names. Wuhan was catching on. Coronavirus, right? Kung flu, yeah. Kung flu. Investigating this this story, you know, there, there have been so many slightly outlandish conspiracy theories which talk about a, a virus coming out of the labs and, and that's where coronavirus is born. And everybody thinks they've been debunked. I mean, where do you stand on them now? Yeah, I think when we first came to it, that was our view frankly, because, you know, we hadn't looked into it closely. And it is an issue because nobody wants to align themselves with Trump, particularly in the scientific world. And so it has made people even more reluctant to even consider the lab theory for fear of being seen to be kind of a Trumpian sympathiser. Really? The way we look at it is that there are several possible options for the virus to have come to Wuhan. I don't know how anyone could rule out the possibility that somehow it wasn't something that leaked from the lab. We just don't know enough about it to know that. 
Equally, what we know about the laboratory and also another CDC place in Wuhan. What's what's a CDC place? The Centre for Disease Control, they have one in almost every city in China. It just so happened that the one in Wuhan had a particular person who was doing a lot of work in bat caves. And the Wuhan Institute of Virology were doing a lot of work in bat caves. So all the time you had teams of scientists travelling between the places where the coronaviruses were thought to originate and Wuhan. So there's always the possibility that it could have infected one of the researchers who brought it back. And it's very difficult to be able to kind of rule out anything. Other scientists will say that it will have been an animal introduced somehow into Wuhan that brought it into the city. Our general view is that people think that it's a bit of a conspiracy theory that it might have leaked from a person in the lab. And that's partly because it has become a kind of highly charged political issue. Yes. Especially with Donald Trump claiming the uh, virus is made in China. He called it Kung Flu, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I think people are kind of a bit reluctant to leap on board that kind of criticism of China because I don't think anyone really believes that it was released into the world deliberately. Right. But it is an enormous coincidence that Wuhan is the centre for studying these viruses and that the virus outbreak happened there. When you're looking at all the theories, this obviously has to be taken into account. It would be wrong to dismiss it. Yeah. One of the questions that we've always tussled with, the idea that it came from Yunnan via a, a non-lab human or a, an animal, was how it then made the thousand-mile journey to Wuhan without infecting anybody else or causing a, a noticeable outbreak along the way. One scientist we spoke to suggested that perhaps a young person had been in charge of the, a pangolin who had the virus and then taken the pangolin all the way to Wuhan. Wow. And the young person had not shown any symptoms because they were young. They point out that that's not impossible, but to us it always seemed like quite a significant uh, hurdle to explain uh, how, how that happened. So is the theory that the virus started in a market in Wuhan, is that now widely seen as not credible? Has that been dismantled as the origin? One of the things that caused suspicion was that there's a second laboratory run by the Wuhan Centre for Disease Control, which is only 280 metres away from the market. The video was put out on YouTube in December of this year, which kind of lionised one of their key researchers who has been trying to find coronaviruses in bats. Among all known creatures, the bats are rich in various viruses inside. You can find most viruses responsible for human diseases, like rabies virus, SARS and Ebola. Accordingly, the caves frequented by bats became our main battlefields. And the video had him kind of describing how risky the work was. Fear of infections, fear of getting lost. With this fear, I take every step extremely cautiously. When you find the viruses, you're also most easily exposed to the viruses. There's been some Chinese media reports which suggest that in the past he has had had mishaps where 
the bats have urinated on him or bled on him and he had to go into isolation himself at the time as a precaution for fear he had been infected. Oh, wow. When you added up all those elements, it did uh, raise eyebrows, certainly. But again, it's been absolutely denied that he might have been the, the, the true patient zero. They closed the market down immediately at the beginning of January and they did lots and lots of testing. They did find out of, I think it was something like 500 samples, around about 30, which showed traces of the COVID-19 virus. And that was found in the kind of the wildlife area of the market. And when this was released in January, this news, the Chinese official news agencies were reporting that this is kind of conclusive proof that it started in the market. But people have kind of gone away from that theory now because when the samples were further analysed, it became clear that all they'd found was kind of samples in sewage. They couldn't find a single result of finding coronavirus in any of the animals at the market. When the outbreak first happened, there was an initial study of 41 cases, and they found that 27 were linked to the Hunan seafood market. Of the 41 cases, a lot of them, and especially the initial ones, had no connection at all with the market. Really? So some of the earlier cases in Wuhan? Yeah. China now no longer believes that the virus started in the uh, market. They've ruled that out. They believe that somebody probably introduced it to the market after the virus had been spreading for a while in Wuhan. I mean, that does make it look more and more... I mean, obviously it's not conclusive, but it does make it look more and more like it points towards the labs. Did you worry while investigating this that it does sound so much like the sort of stuff that's been circulating in conspiracy theories? I mean, is the difference, I suppose, that in a lot of the conspiracy theories, it is something that is being created in a lab to be unleashed on the world? And from your description of it so far, it sounds more like there's a team of people who are taking huge risks to try to get to the origin of viruses. I mean, is this more an accident if that's where it has come from? I think we think it was incredibly unlikely that this was done deliberately. I can't, we cannot, I cannot see any <laughs> motivation yeah. why anybody would want to do that, particularly as it you know, affected China enormously. Now, we can't conclusively say that the virus definitely came from the lab. We can just see that there are a lot of factors that point in that direction. And we can't say how it happened if it was an accident. The one thing we can see throughout this incident is there is certainly sort of a culture of secrecy from the Chinese government, which doesn't seem to have helped in all of this. What did you find on that score? The provenance of this virus does show a kind of apparent litany of crucial information being left out by the Chinese. So the 2016 paper, when they first made public that they'd found this new strain of SARS coronavirus, they made no mention of the fact that the very reason that they'd been looking in that mine shaft was because of the deaths. Yeah, there could well have been a news blackout by the Chinese authorities on what happened in the mine. because really? Because we had researchers in China working on this and they cannot find any news articles relating to it. And yet, it's quite an important subject because obviously three people die of a novel virus and they have antibodies for a coronavirus. It looks like the source of a new epidemic there. The way that we've been able to piece together actually information about the people who died and what happened to them 
is actually only through a thesis written by somebody at the hospital where they're treated, and later by another PhD uh, thesis written by somebody at the Centre for Communicable Disease nearby. The mention of these cases only seems to appear in these two publications. Of course, we can't be absolutely sure that it wasn't written about at the time, but we can find hardly any information about it. You've spoken to lots of scientists while looking into this matter. Is it really unusual if you have suddenly found a new, deadly, novel coronavirus that you would, A, not publicise it, but also just put it away, put the sample away and not look at it in a lab for a number of years? Certainly. Some of the scientists we've spoken to find that inexplicable. Their view is that it would be the absolute prime candidate for a very intensive study. But, I mean, others who are more generous, say that we've all missed things in our academic past, and so perhaps it is excusable. Yeah, when we talked to somebody who collaborates with them, a man called Peter Daszak, who's a kind of virus hunter. He worked with them over 15 years. He says that although it was from the SARS family, it wasn't a very close match to SARS itself. And since all the work at the time was into understanding the origin of SARS, the scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology put it to one side. That's his explanation. There is a team from the World Health Organization actually going in this Monday onwards, and they are there with a specific task of trying to find out where the virus came from. And it's going to be quite a tough task for them, I would have thought. Any academic study now on the origin of the virus is regarded as kind of X-rated. We've seen reports which came out in the spring that the Chinese government has told everyone that if they do any work on COVID-19, if it's specifically on the origin of the virus, then it goes all the way up to a committee which reports directly to the Chinese government's leadership before it is released. And so the opportunity to censor any any, any work are huge. And have you put this to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and to the Chinese government, what sort of response are you getting? Yes, so we've put a long list of questions alongside our findings to the Wuhan Institute. We have had no response so far. I've been calling them up, asking them to please respond as promptly as possible. But um, so far, we've had nothing back from them at all. Do you think we'll ever know? For sure. I suspect we may never know for sure. I suspect we will find out a lot more about it in the future. For a lot of people, it'll remind them of the Soviet government trying to keep the Chernobyl nuclear plant disaster quiet back in the 80s. I mean, is this... I know we can't know for sure, but do you think this is China's Chernobyl moment? Well, one of the scientists that we did speak to did draw that comparison himself. Yeah, he said, I'm right, aren't I, George, that he said that he just thought it was so, so similar to what was happening at the moment. Yeah, he saw a lot of the same kind of parallels, particularly in terms of the obfuscation around really important questions.
You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Jonathan Calvert and George Arbuthnot from the Sunday Times Insight team. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were James Shield and Will Rowe. The executive producer is Leo Hornack and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rohrfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast for free to hear one story told in depth each day. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. And while you're there, do leave us a review and let us know what you think. See you tomorrow.